escaping here. I'm not even supposed to be here today. If he gets up, we'll all get up. It'll be anarchy. I'm a trained actor reduced to the stakes of a bomb. Hello, welcome to episode 52 of the Film School Dropouts podcast. My name is Martin Briggs. And my name's Andy Martin. And today we're carrying on with our 101 movies you have to watch before you die, but then you die. Um, that's it. That's the name of the thing, I guess, now. 101 <laughs> movies and then you die. Yeah. <laughs> That'll work. <laughs> um, but it'll be, it'll be a nice life because you'd have seen 101 fantastic movies, in our opinion. They're all, all good movies, yeah. You yeah. haven't seen any shit ones. <laughs> <laughs> but it's not that many, is it? Yeah. Cool. So, um, yeah, it's episode um, 52 as well. So we're going to make the 100 by uh, 2030, aren't we? <laughs> yep, that should do. Should do. Yeah. 2030 is a long way away. Yeah. What's the first film of you that you've got for us? Oh, should I go first? Um, okay. Sorry. Uh, I'm going with the 1980 camp classic, as it's now known, Flash Gordon. Um, a film that a lot of people love. It's, it's a definition of a cult film, really. I mean, loads of people love it. Got reissued again last year for its 40th anniversary and um, got a nationwide cinema release, which is rare for a film 40 years old nowadays. So that, that says a lot about it. Um, only got 6.5 on IMDb, but I imagine it's one of those films where a lot of people would have given it 10 and a lot of people would have given it one. Um, yeah. made off the back of Star Wars, really. That's how this film got made. George Lucas originally wanted to make a Star Wars film, uh, sorry, a Flash Gordon film, couldn't get the rights, so made Star Wars. And then, um, with sci fi being huge after that success, somebody else picked up the rights and, and made their version of Flash Gordon, um, which was a character from I believe that started in the 30s comic book by Alex Raymond. Um, I don't know much about the comic book, if I'm honest. Um, I got into it by watching this film as a kid. Um, it's directed by Mike Hughes, who probably most well-known for Get Carter, which was a big hit probably a decade before. Was Get Carter late 60s? I think it was 60s, wasn't it? Yeah, um, yeah, late 60s. So, and um, interesting thing about it is the, the two screenwriters, one's um, most well-known for the Batman TV series, and the other one um, had done very little stuff, but did write Enter the Dragon. So there's a bit of a mix there. And um, that's that's kind of what this film is. It's They've thrown a lot of talent together. And a famous soundtrack by Queen, which is something I want to mention, because um, not many big films really have got that soundtrack by a, a rock or pop act. You got it a few times. I um, mean, you know, probably a big example was Prince done Batman in um, 1989. Uh, this and Queen done Highland as well. And that was a thing that bands used to do. And you, you really don't see anymore, do you? I uh, can't think of a more a recent example. It's a very um, 80s thing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, and then that might be a lot of that might have come off this, you know, being in 1980. Um, and to, 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 you know, to really reason I'm praising this film is it's one of those films that it has aged, but I think it's actually improved with age. It's yeah. very of its time. It's very, cheesy um but it's meant to be and it's it, it's it's a fun film and that era of sci-fi apart from really star wars it was all quite serious when you look at the old battlestar galactic obviously blade runner is around this time and sci-fi tried to become this thing for for adults and you know dark alien had just come out and that sort of thing and this 
off the back of what's essentially a kid's film. This is a, yeah, a kid's film, but I can see that adults really get into it as well, just because of how over the top and, and silly it is, um, without going too far from the source material. If you look at the comic book characters, especially Brian Blessed, who really stands out in the film, he is 10 times the character that is in the comic. He's really gone for it. And, um, well, that's what he does, isn't it? But the, the whole cast are like that. And Sam Jones, even, who kind of an unknown, I think, was he an American footballer in real life? Was he? I'm not sure. But he was an unknown before this film and not really done much since. His career went downhill, but he's the iconic Flash Gordon. When you think of Flash Gordon, you think of that actor or that look. Um, so the reason I've gone for this is I just I just think it's... I've done Superman 2 um, re- recently, and I think we've done it in the first one. Of that's I see that if it wasn't for that movie, you wouldn't have got the Marvel, that that sort of storytelling and that that way of transferring a comic book but i see this the other other way of something a bit more almost um you could you could tell you know this this film you could see why it bombed but it's it seems like they just made it to be like the comic opposed to to be a hit if, if that makes sense yeah it's still okay. i think it's surprising with queen would have been really big at the time that that wouldn't have carried it more really yeah i mean and there, there's um a lot of stories about you know badly promoted the film was and um it just it didn't get the release that they want is what they say in, in sort of retrospect documentaries about it and there was a lot of trouble with the the producers and director clashed because i think the producers wanted more of a serious film then once it was done i think the studio just just wanted to get it out and get it out of the way and it's yeah. the kind of film that if it was made now there'd be action figures you know, lunch boxes, everything, wasn't there? And, I, and there wasn't for this when it came out. Um, and I, I think it was released around the same time as Empire Strikes Back. So there might have been the, the competition of that as well. Star Wars had already taken off in sort of toys and, you know, the thing that yeah. all the kids wanted already by then. Yeah. It? But... It, might, it might be that um, literally when it came out, people, even though it wasn't, people saw it as a Star Wars ripoff. It was a Star Wars cash-in, definitely, but you can't say it was a rip-off because it was Absolutely. around before. Nothing like, and if any, if anything, it's the other way around. Although yeah. it would have been a very different film, I think, if George Lucas had, had got the rights to Flash Gordon, yeah. saying he hadn't made Star Wars and he had made this Flash Gordon movie instead. I don't think it would have been anything like the one uh, no. that we have got. And then and we w- you ended up with Star Wars as well, so it's, it's win-win, really. And yeah, exactly. Yeah, so I mean, you, to it. <laughs> we, if, if he had got the rights to this, we wouldn't have got this, obviously, and we wouldn't have got Star Wars. So, you know, imagine a life about Star Wars if you're a person of our ages. It would be, be strange, wouldn't it? It would be very strange, yeah. And well, I, I mean, I don't know. I don't know if we'd ever... You get these sort of early films that directors made just on Super 8s and stuff sometimes. I wonder if he ever ever did have a bash uh, Flash Gordon movie just, you know, just yeah. before he was famous, messing about. There might be something somewhere. It might be, yeah. That'd be... Um, be. Yeah. I mean, what's your opinion on, on Flash Gordon? I assume you've it's, seen it's it. Good. It's a good, fun movie. Um, I, I always go to Barbarella instead when I'm in the same mood, but I, <laughs> I, I almost, I, I reckon I've probably got scenes from the two of them mixed up. They're so similar in so many ways. Although Flash yeah. Gordon, of course, is a more, like, that's an established character. I suppose Barbarella is more of a parody of that kind yeah, of Yeah, I mean, um, Barbarella was the first, if you don't count the, the movie they done based on the Batman 
TV series, Barbarella was the first cinematic um, movie based on a comic in 1968. So, you know, um, I don't think that's a great film. It's just that it's, it's not as well paced as Flash Gordon. Um, and it's, it's really, much more bizarre. Yeah, I think it's probably why it's, it's, it's re- a stranger film. Really dated as well. Um, yeah, not, not so much in a good way. But I do like Barbarella, and that was <laughs> in my in my list for films I'm considering for this. But I don't reckon I will because I went for Flash Gordon. Um, so yeah, that's one. Of, and it's it's. I grew up watching it. It was on TV a lot in the afternoons. That kind of fun, you know, Sunday afternoon after you after you roast and you're chilling film. And I think. We need films like that. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely, it's definitely, it's always going to be fun um, to, to watch. It's got that. It does look like those, the, like the, the type of comic book that it is as well, because it's not Marvel, you know. Like no. they, they had a very different look. The costumes are all you know, like surprisingly more faithful than you'd expect. I think I don't know that they looked exactly like that in the comics because they haven't read them, but I know I've seen panels from them and it's exactly the right type of look, even if it isn't yeah. exactly the right, the same costume. And I, and I think but, since um, this film, this is how, like I mentioned earlier, this is how Flash Gordon's gone. So anything they've done Flash Gordon since has probably been based more on this movie than it has the original comics because it had been probably 40 years between they'd done the TV series, um, sorry, the cinematic serial of it, to this 80s version. So they'd obviously modeled it up because they didn't want to make it look like the 40s. Yeah. So, um, and it's, it's probably due a remake. They've been saying it for ages. As long as they've got Brian Blessed in it, I'll be happy. <laughs> yeah, I suppose you could find a way to put him in it still somehow. I don't think they'd um, have a choice. I think he'd just say he's in it. And it's just, he's already there. <laughs> yeah. You said no, he's already in the final <laughs> cut somehow. <laughs> So if you've um if you are a fan of it um pick up the there's a special edition Blu-ray out at the moment which is about four discs it's a fascinating documentary about Sam Jones and how his career went afterwards and there's a commentary by Brian Blessed which is just a joy to listen to because he genuinely <laughs> loves the film so much it's amazing but yeah so that's me plugging it but well worth picking up and your first choice. Uh, my the first one on, on my five this this month is Midnight Cowboy. Uh, the John Schlesinger film uh, stars Dustin Hoffman. Um, is probably the most famous actor in it. Um, you've got John Voight as well, who plays uh, the cowboy Joe Buck. Um, it's the film, I think there's probably more people have quoted it than seen it. Midnight Cowboy with I'm walking here. Um, and loads of people, I definitely quoted that before having seen the film or knowing what film it was from. Because yeah. you hear people quiet more than you more than you see. So surprisingly, it's one of them films that like it probably counts as a cult movie as well. I think because it didn't it didn't do hugely well at the box office. And although it's usually thought of as a critical success, as many noted film critics didn't like it. Mm. Uh, Roger Ebert didn't like it. You know, um, <clears throat> said that it was gimmicky, failed up, failed to live up to the. Um, the, the story that was really there, that kind of thing. Uh, but I really love it. It's it's that kind of like underbelly of America. I think if you like movies like Taxi Driver, you're going to really like uh, Midnight Cowboy. Um, for the same reason, you've got that sort of like outsider character. You've got like a, a sweet, good-natured um, kind of country boy goes to the city, becomes a, 
um, like to seek his fortunes, becomes a male prostitute and gets sort of eaten alive in many ways by, by that horrible kind of New York grime. Um, and uh, Dustin Hoffman's kind of like iconic in the role as, as Rizzo, um, who's kind of like the street urchin who tries to take him under his wing. Um, it's really, really emotional film. It hits you hard when you see it. It's tragic. Um, but it's got some like funny moments as well. And it's, uh, you know, you really, I think that the best thing about it is the way they develop the relationships in the film. And I think that's what carries your, your interest throughout it. Um, and you, you do get on, on the side of the characters and all that kind of thing. But it's one, definitely one that I think everybody should watch. It's brilliantly shot and it's worth watching for that alone. Or like, it's a great example of like, um, like I say, that kind of like underbelly of America mm -hmm. type type movie a little bit dystopian um one of the best for that that kind of thing um it's, i think it probably fair to say there'll be some influence on people like david lynch in the way that some of it is shot the way that some of the montage sequences and things like that are put together quite surreal at times but still at the same time quite anchored in like real life so i think it um I think it probably appealed to people who like those kind of movies as well, although it's not a surreal film. It's not a surrealist right. thing like Lynch's stuff, but certainly like in a lot of the visual style of it and stuff and the, the types of locations chosen, that sort of thing. Um, yeah, I'd recommend it for that. I don't, I'm sure you probably have seen it. I, I have a very long time ago when I was in college. I saw it. It was one of those, I always mention this, actually, I watched a lot of films. on like They used to have sort of Friday night, showings on bbc2 i think it was called video no, it wasn't called video drone but something like that you get a lot of the cult movies yeah. i saw it on that i remember liking it but one i don't so it's weird it's like i remember the iconic bits that i'd probably seen before the film do you know what i mean yeah. you see that um i remember enjoying it and um it is one of those films as well isn't it that you say it didn't do that well and it sort of mixed critical reviews, but didn't it win a lot of awards? Isn't that one of the reasons it's remembered? I'm not sure. It won three Oscars. So, I mean, that's a success in any that's, that's, yeah. Like, it's, it's, we, we, it won we, we, Best we, Picture and Best Director. So There you go, yeah. So that's... For 1970. Yeah, so that's two. Like, it's like 69, 68, 69, I think, in a book. Yeah. Of the 1970 Oscars. I mean, it definitely looks and feels more like a 70s film than a 60s film. So I think it did have quite an influence on the sort of yeah. decade of film that come after it. So it's worth worth mentioning for that as well. Like always when a film has sort of had an aesthetic influence on the one on films that come later, it's it's worthwhile. Yeah. Uh, because of that. And and it is just such a hard hitting emotional film. I mean, I um I've probably only watched it twice. Because yeah. of that, it's one. It becomes one of them. Like, oh, I'm definitely, I'm going to watch that again. But I'm going to have to be in the mood to go back to that. Yeah. Um, that whole thing. I mean, it's interesting. Look at masculinity and stuff like that. Deals with it in a way that few films had at the time. And to be fair, I think few have since. There's maybe um, what was it called? Now, Brokeback Mountain or something. Yeah. Deals with some of the same things in this, in a similar way, but not really because that's far more rural in its setting and all of that. And there's more going on in Midnight Cowboy. I mean, arguably too much going on in it at times. Um, and they probably could have made it a little bit simpler. And it might have... It might have done better that way. Uh, I don't know. But it was, you know, um, looking back at this, what, 50, 51 years ago, and 
it's still talked about. It's one of those movies, and a lot of best pictures, for example, are forgotten. And this is one of the yeah. ones we're all forgotten, or or people turn on them a few years later. Uh, but it was it's this one? Good. If anything, it's grown in popularity, opposed to to not. So that that's a praising for it, really. Yeah. I mean, off the top of your head, was there, was there ever a film that you remember getting best picture? Uh, um, at the Oscars that you thought, nah, it's rubbish. It's rubbish film. Um, it's, it's not, not, I wouldn't say rubbish, but a film like Crash, I didn't think was very good. That mm. was probably 20 years ago. Um, more recently, if I'm honest, there's been films I haven't seen that have won it. Um, and I've gone to it afterwards. And then you've got that look of, well, it's meant to be good. So you go into it probably expecting more than what you get. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so I try to, when, when it's obvious that the, the studios are pitching their Oscars movies, I try to get in there and watch them before the ceremony happens. Yeah. So I don't even know what's been nominated <laughs> for what. Like, you don't want to know, do you, when you watch yeah. the movie? You don't want that in your head. I mean, for me, I recently, totally agree. in um, ones I re- remember more recently, like um, Green Book and so The Shape of Water, I, both, I really enjoy both of them. Yeah. Um, um, Moonlight as well, I think. Uh, that's one I didn't see. Yeah. I mean, that, that was really good as well. Yeah. I did deserve it. I can remember not wanting Titanic to win and um, <laughs> wanting Goodwill Hunting to. Um, so I was annoyed at that one. And um, it's like but, Lord of the Rings year where it was just like, just give it to Lord of the Rings. What category is it not fucked? Give, just give it to Lord of the Rings. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I think that was kind of like a bit unfair how many Oscars it got. Yeah. And it was, wasn't it the last one that won them all? And it was no better than the other ones. At all, and um, and it, <laughs> it haven't stood up that well, have you? When you consider it's been twenty years or less than twenty years for some of them, yeah, I've um, got to rewatch. I them think because... they look a lot more dated than you would have expected at the time. Whereas you do go back to something like um, Midnight Cowboy, you know, although it looks of its time, um, it's not in a way that was like trying to push any technical envelopes or anything like. You know, it's not. It's not like trying to like push the boundaries of anything in a technical sense. Whereas um, you know, it's that type of cinematography that's always going to look good. Yeah. Always going to look good. Don't matter. Um, whereas The Lord of the Rings, kind of like it was really one of them. Like It's like um, Jurassic Park. People say, oh, it stands up really well. Now. It doesn't look as good as you might think when you think it stands up really well now that you can tell. But I think have done the, a lot since then. The first Jurassic Park, special <coughs> effects wise, stands up better than the second and third by far. Because <laughs> there's more practical effects in there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. mixture of CGI and practical, yeah. isn't it? Um, it's it's a strange one. The, the Jurassic Park. I watched them all recently. And the third one, I think, is a far better film than the second one. But it it looks really cheap now, and it isn't. They've obviously just been using the, the CGI, which for at the time, yeah. Um, and I imagine yeah, that's how I imagine Lord of the Rings would be now. It'd be like watching a video game or something. Um, yeah, a little bit. It's a it's a bit better than that. But the, like on on the flip side of that, to be fair to video games, they've got better as well. So, yeah. <laughs> so yeah. it sort of it, it does move along quite in, in tandem in a way, almost. Yeah. With, with games being behind, but um, yeah, not. I mean, even even just like other other aspects of it, um, the Lord of the Rings kind of kind of aren't as good as they seem to me at the time, like the acting and the costumes and stuff like that. None of it looks as good as yeah. I'd remembered it being. Um, and I can genuinely never be bothered to watch them now. 
because <laughs> if you're putting the DVD on, it's four hours each movie. I'm like, oh my god, yeah. I might as well read the book, mate. Yeah, well, I've got the um, <laughs> I, I, I bought the Blu-rays to rewatch them, um, but I didn't go for the extended version, so I've got the three-hour versions because I thought yeah. that's enough. It is. Uh, you know, they, they they cut these bits out for a reason originally. I mean, there's bits cut from the novels in the four-hour version. So, like, yeah, know, yeah, I feel like go with the the condensed one that they decided flowed the most well. Yeah, the most flowed the most. Well, you know what I mean? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But um, yeah, I mean, it's um, it sound about things dated. Then this will lead on to my next choice. So if you have you have you said everything you about midnight? Cable? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, like, because um, talk about things dating, um, even when it came out, when Peter Jackson, after Lord of the Rings, done King Kong, I thought a lot of the special effects in that then were really cgi So by now, that's probably proper dated. Um, which I want to talk about the, the first King Kong from 1933, which um, the stop motion special effects, is, it was gra- very groundbreaking at the time. Um, I'm assuming this is a Probably film. You, the you, main one of the main reasons that it's remembered as being an important film, in it, what it was, yeah. doing, special effects at a time, kind of inventing special effects, wasn't it? Yeah, and um, you got to think this is it's not far off a hundred years old. This film, when you look at it, twelve years off. Yeah, um, and it's got a, a simple plot, but an enjoyable one. It's in out with the action, really, isn't it? And it's a film that oh, God knows how many times they've remade officially king kong and then there's been rip-offs of it but this is the one um that is always remembered this sort of iconic is it fay ray is, is the the heroine um it's only about 90 minutes long and peter jackson decided to make a three-hour version which i'll never understand why because it's basically go to ireland get scared bring back monkey monkey goes mad Monkey's in New York. Happy, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> that's the film and that's yeah. that's 70 minutes in it. What is the original King Kong? It's got to be somewhere around probably 78. I think it, it's about 80. I think it's 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 not three hours. I know that. Um, but it's it still stands up really well. And I was unsure when I, I rewatched it. Um, just as we were talking about these films, actually, because it was something I thought it's got to go in there, really. It's just one of those, it's it's iconic. If probably for us in our culture, more than Godzilla. Um, yeah. and it's just the, the quotable um, beauty that killed the beast you know that's the you still hear that everywhere not just when it comes to King Kong um, and it, it's just interesting I, I didn't realise that none of the um, like uh, crew and stuff were credited for it um, but I think that might be back then for the mystery of the film to almost imply that it was almost real. Do you know what I mean? Um, So no one was credited for writing, directing anything, just a a few of the cast. It will have have probably been something to do with the way they were marketing it. it. Yeah. First of all, it might have been some sort of strike or something, but it wouldn't have been that many people who um, wouldn't be involved. I mean, it's it's got 7.9 on IMDb, which for something that old, I think is pretty good. Um, But I'd, I'd give it higher than that, if I'm honest. Well, yeah, I mean, it's it's a brilliant film. So long as you let it be the simple story that it is, the way that it's originally told in that in yeah. that uh, 1930s one, then yeah. it's brilliant. And I think, you know, like you say, the problem with the, the the remakes that they've attempted, they ask too much of the character and too much of the story. Yeah. But it's like, you're not going to make it better by complicating it. You're just no. going to make it ridiculous. 
Like it needs yeah. to be. It needs to be simple. It's one of those, they've sort of when they've updated it, they've changed it um, to try and better it. I think. And why? Yeah, you know, like, exactly. You're not gonna. They had it right the first time. Well, yeah. The best you could do for King Kong is give it a facelift. Apart from that, leave it alone, man. Like, yeah. <laughs> and um, the it was two thousands, wasn't it? When Peter Jackson done it, he even set it in the same era. What was the point? He could have set it now, couldn't he? Yeah, which would be, it's the obvious thing to do. I yeah, because they did with a 70s one, which wasn't too bad. But it's just one of those films, I think, when you, when you talk about films you have to have seen, this is definitely one of them. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Yeah, a lot of the films I've picked is like my personal opinion, but I can't think there'd be many lists of um, 101 films without this in. No, I mean, there's too many things that are taken from it. I mean, it's a bit before, it's a bit before Godzilla, isn't it? It's probably about 20 years before, yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, you wouldn't even really be looking at... I mean, like, obviously, Godzilla is worth mentioning alongside it because it's the other yeah. big monster. Big monster. Yeah. Big, big monster movie. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. But, I mean, and they had their own reasons for coming out with that character that were influenced by events in their own history and culture and everything. But you still wouldn't really have had... Like you've already had like the introduction of the giant monster movie genre by then. The yeah. equivalents would be the dinosaur films alongside it, wouldn't they? It'd be its yeah. actual contemporaries. So to make it a thing that's normally not that big, but massive, that's yeah. that's King Kong. Pretty yeah, and effectively and also, the whole kaiju genre there. Yeah, it is it's like mentioned with Flash Gordon with comics, mer- mer- merchandise and all this. Um, King Kong was an original concept for this movie, wasn't it? It wasn't a character, or there wasn't a book before or anything. Yeah. It, it was it was straight made for, for the cinema. So um, it's not, not too much we can say about it, I don't think, apart from just, if, you, if you've seen it, you'll know. And if you haven't, why, why the fuck haven't you seen it? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's one it's one of them films that's really going to be like kind of like the idea is going to be driven by the possibilities that the technology is brought about and it because somebody's yeah. going to have thought here we can make a gorilla look like it's bigger than the bloody empire state building or it's the same size as the empire state building and then you think yes let's do that so what's how are we going to put that in a story but yes we're doing that definitely yeah. so yeah. kind of the way them ideas kind of come about isn't it yeah and it's become this iconic yeah thing and it's one of the things that if you used to list say a hundred things you think of with new york king kong up the empire state building would be one of them wouldn't it yeah i mean that's like i think you'll always see it if there's going to be a little jokey sort of panorama of of the new york skyline you might pop king kong up there and everybody yeah. recognizes that immediately yeah so yeah um go, go watch this film it's um, one i will mention that watching it uh, a few months ago, um, <laughs> there's some quite sexist and racist bits in it. But as I also explained, it's 88 years old. So I think yeah, I mean, the, probably the, let that slip. The prevailing attitude of the time. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Uh, what have you got next? I can't remember. Let me get my list up. Uh, my next one is Suspiria, the Dario, Dario Argento 1977 Suspiria, not the 2018 remake, which I still haven't watched. No, me like neither. Regular listeners know that we don't have a problem with remakes as a no. rule. Sometimes, admittedly, remakes are shit, and we don't like <laughs> it for that reason. Yeah. But yeah. not as a general rule. We've talked about it at length, so we probably don't need to do it now. That's not why I haven't watched the Suspiria remake. 
but I am watching the Suspiria remake because I think there's remakes and there's remakes. And like sometimes it's kind of like if you did this with a Picasso painting, you go to jail. So I don't see why you get to come <laughs> along and just doodle all over Dario Argento's Suspiria. Um, it's one of the movies for me where I think like I think the acting shite in the film, <laughs> the story itself and the script itself is nonsense for large parts of it. Um, and it's kind of drivel, but from a visual point of view, you can't fault it. It's yeah. it's a, it's one of them things where like you look at it straight away, and within the first fifteen minutes, you'd be like, if you didn't know, you'd be like, is this is this a Dario Argento movie? Because he's got that visual style, very similar to Mario Bava and some of the other Italian horror filmmakers. But I think Dario Argento is probably the best, probably the tightest in the way that like he builds them sets um, and everything's really sort of tightly controlled in the colour palettes used and the types of shots that he has. Um, there's always going to be sort of like, you'd be looking at it and be like, yeah, but why would there, why is there a room that's just filled with glass? <laughs> like that, why would that be there? But because he wants to have like these big set piece moments that he shoots immaculately um and that's what Suspiria does really really well um the story for Adario Argento um for his horror movies it's, it's not bad um I think he, he's, he was probably best at his kind of um the giallo like the, the the more sort of crime thriller sort of type things he wrote those stories better than the more supernatural ones and when it was supernatural it just sort of threw a caution to the wind. So obviously, it's you, you get the the girl gets uh, taken to a boarding school. The boarding school is run by witches. It all goes horribly wrong for her. From there, that's the story, <laughs> really, isn't it? Um, but like I said, you get that sort of ev every scene is really, really tightly put together, and always to um, use color in a way that will kind of disorientate you and and become part of the horror obviously there's always a lot of red and stuff because there's going to be a lot of blood um and he uses all of that kind of thing i think for all of the films that he's done suspiria would be the one that i say if you only watch one watch watch that one because yeah. it's probably the most argento-ish argento movie that there is <laughs> well, yeah, certainly the most remembered isn't it and um yeah just going back to what you said to start with about the remake it's another example of um, one of the reasons I haven't watched a remake. Surely, is it's too long. I mean, the original's got to be uh, between an hour and a half and two hours, um, whereas, whereas the remake's close to three hours. So, what the hell have they done what, with it? Yeah, why? Why you're not yeah. going to make it better by making it longer? And this is what yeah. I mean. You're just coming and drawing over something somebody's already done. Yeah, you can't like start this like. Did you imagine when you were making it, someone was going to come along and say, this is the better version of Suspiria? Like, were you making it with that in mind? Or like, why? Yeah. You know, but that, I mean... kind of like You remake The Wizard of Oz, that's just another person's take on a yeah. children's classic book. Um, yeah. A bit different, I think, to where it was a defining thing within the art form that you're remaking it in. Yeah. Or but, um, I think that's yeah, really different. I do know people who've seen it and are fans of the original who do like it. Yeah, it's not like yeah. You know, um, so I'm not gonna not gonna judge it too much yet. It's just I've got other things I'd rather watch. Yeah. Um, but one one thing I always remember from, from the original is I'm reading. It might have been in the commentary or the making of or something about um how the the girls were originally meant to be younger. So they've made the sets slightly bigger, like door handles are higher up and that sort of thing. Yeah. Because of because of the the theme, they didn't want the girl. He wanted the girls to be younger, but the studio or whoever didn't. So yeah, I mean, like they're young adults, really. Yeah. <laughs> so I think he wanted them to be about thirteen. 
Um, they're, they're definitely not. They're more. They're, they're more like sort of early twenties. Yeah, yeah. Bit, it's not like Greece though, where they're about forty. Yeah, so it's, sort of, it's sort of like a ballet academy. So you probably would have had students from sort of like really young through yeah, to true. sort of yeah, definitely still sort of eighteen, nineteen, twenty kind of age, I suppose. Yeah, but it's it's, it's one I often go back to as well. Um, when I when I want to watch one of the Italian horrors, that's or I want to watch them with people. I've had movie nights and stuff, and I've this is the film I've shown them. Yeah, you know. Um, but yeah, it's it's kind of it's like you say, it's not perfect, but in a way, it is. It's the bits of it that are good are as good as you're ever going to see. So it doesn't matter about the other bits, if, yeah. if that makes sense. I mean, for like, for editing and editing in horror movies and the way he puts them together, and you wanted to learn that, I would be like, you should probably just watch Suspiria and do what they've done there. Yeah. <laughs> that, that's yeah. how you do it. Yeah. Just like that. I mean, like, uh, sort of like the hanging scenes and stuff like that, the way that's put together. The way yeah. certain shots will give you the sense of the scale of the room and the size of the room before it happens and all that. Each little bit that you see leading to how effective the, the drop is, that, that sort of thing is yeah, it's brilliant. Yeah. So who cares that it's you know, other than that total fucking nonsense, which it is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. So um should we move on? I've, I've, yeah. yeah. But I've got another horror. Uh, an updated comedy version of a horror, but I'm going to go for a film you just mentioned, The Wizard of Oz, from yeah. uh, Ian Fleming from 1939. Uh, Which, as we've talked about before, isn't the original film version of The Wizard of Oz. No, that's um, that was Oliver Hardy was in that in about 1918 or something. They done a, a silent version. If you've got many of the special editions of The Wizard of Oz, will have that as a special feature on it as well. Was he the friendly lion? I don't know. I've seen it, and I remember thinking it was That's terrible. You, it's what you'd want to put him as, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, I think he might just be Oliver Hardy who ends up in the same plot. I'm not. I'm <laughs> unsure. I, I, I will rewatch, but I, I watched it when I was yeah. really young and just couldn't stand it because it was so old and different. And yeah, when I say I'd have been eleven or something when I watched it, I've got the special edition of The Wizard of Oz, so I'll have to give it give it another watch. Um, but yes, yeah, Ian, Ian Fleming. I'm sorry, Victor Fleming, not Ian Fleming. He wrote um, James Bond, didn't he? Um, Victor Fleming, same year as he made Gone with the, yeah, same year as he made um, Gone with the Wind, um, but there's rumours and stuff that he wasn't the only person who directed this. Um, but iconic performances: Judy Garland, obviously, um, Margaret Hamilton as the witch is superb. Um, but I think this is one of those ones that most people have seen, um, and it, surely anyone in our lifetime who's got kids, this is one of the first films you show, isn't it? You would um, think so. Yeah. It still um, looks really good. And there's been remasters a bit that make it look even better. So I would definitely yeah. say put it on. But but the most interesting thing I think about it, it's a great film. For me, it's a five out of five. Um, it's something that they've taken the book. I don't know if you've read the original book, but they've um they've actually added more to it. You know, it's all in there, but they've added more to it. Things like the Let's Ruby Slippers. Yeah. Um Things like the Ruby Slippers weren't in the book. Obviously, the songs weren't in the book, and the songs are they're iconic. Um, it's one of the most recognisable soundtracks ever. Um, but it's the stories behind the films and the myths uh, and the myth about it and stuff like the the famous Hanging Munchkin, which you must have heard about, yeah. um, which is utter bullshit. But um, but because it's one of those films that is regularly watched, and this is. What, approaching 90 years old 
Um, so I think the, these myths come about because it's just everyone knows it. And there are stories about how the Munchkins were mistreated. Um, the original Tin Man put some makeup on, which gave him lead poisoning. So they had to change the actor. Um, just how the... the I mean, the, yeah, well, yeah, like there were things that were brutal about the Hollywood yeah. studio system in the 30s. There just were. Um, yeah, and that's what um, it would have been. So it's it's one of the things that makes for a legend, though, isn't it? Like, yeah, take a take a little bit of the truth and a little bit of bullshit and mix it up together into something that sounds great. <laughs> yeah, and that's um one of the many reasons it's remembered. But um, yeah, it's it's been not remade but reimagined so many times. But never does anyone think when you think Wizard of Oz of any other version of it other than the Judy Garland one, do you? No, exactly. So, and that's why we're not against remakes outright because it might not be the original film version, but it is the definitive film version. And added, like things like you say, adding in the red slippers and all that sort of stuff. You can't imagine it without it now. No, like, exactly. You couldn't possibly imagine it without those. So, And yeah. without, without this film, would the book even be as well remembered? I mean, I think the film's more famous than the book, which usually it's the other way around, isn't it? Yeah, I would say it probably is true in this case. And the book would still be out there, but it wouldn't be as as widely read as it is were it not for the movie. Exactly. I mean, I I wouldn't have read it if it wasn't for the movie, I don't think. And I read it as an adult as well. I didn't read it as a kid. Um, But it's a really interesting film. It's it's another one that's quite short, really. Um, But just everything about it. I mean, and when it came out, that bit where it goes from black and white to colour, that must have been pretty amazing because... I don't yeah. think, I don't know if it was the first colour film, but it was definitely around that time, wasn't it? It's think... around about the time when it would have been a big impact for it to start black and white and then transform into colour would have been a kind of like, look at this. Everyone. Yeah. Oh my God, the glory of Technicolor. Um, yeah. Which again, like it's these, some like I was saying uh, with King Kong, like sometimes it is these little sort of the, the, the advancements in technology that make a film important, regardless of whether you like the movie or not. Yeah. I mean, for an example of that for me is I'm not a huge fan of the Matrix movies, but I kind of like do recognise it as a sort of a milestone in yeah. the technology behind film and so on. And obviously it's a sort of a technologically driven art form, isn't it? I mean, cinema in itself was a technological advancement on just the camera and the, and the photograph. So it's, yeah. it's, it's crucial, um, like you say, that it would have been... It would have been um, around about that time. I think obviously he'd already had Snow White and stuff, but for live action, I think yeah. it could well be first or one of the first. Yeah, and I mean, plot-wise, this holds up so much better than than Snow White. I, I rewatched Snow White recently as well, something I was considered from this. So rewatch, first time I'd watched it properly. And Snow White, you've got to look at it for when it came out, otherwise it's quite boring. Yeah. Um, but it's yeah. it was that first like you know, and it, you could tell it's sort of it's in sections. It's almost like sketches put together. Um, whereas Wizard of Oz is is that that journey, isn't it? In there, and um, we've mentioned well, we did mention in the first one of these um, labyrinth. I mean, let's face it, they wouldn't have made labyrinth if it wasn't for Wizard of Oz. It's almost the same plot. It, I was going to say <laughs> pretty much is just it's just a different take on the Wizard of Oz, isn't it? Yeah, for all intents and purposes. Yeah, slight. You know, a couple of things that have changed around, but like it's just moving the furniture around, isn't it? When you, yeah, you sort so, of you're looking at like she's gone to rescue a baby that she's gotten kidnapped by mistake, yeah. and um, 
and the other one she wishes to go somewhere else and ends up wishing she could go home. But the the, the basics of it are exactly the same, aren't they? Is yeah, young girl yeah. goes on adventure. It's a there and back again quest. Um, yeah. Make, makes friends I mean, on the way. Like you can strip it all down to like such basic points that like there's not that much difference between these two movies and Mad Max Fury Road. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like the way you've decorated it. That's different in it. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, much more of a plot than Mad Max, though. <laughs> well, that's what I mean. Like when you get down yeah. to the right, the right basics, that that, yeah. that is the plot. They go to yeah. a place, they do the thing, they come back again. That's that's yeah. what happens. Yeah, yeah. I, I rewatched that as well that's recently. Really. It's a stunning visual film, but I actually got bored. I mean, I've seen it twice before, but now I know it. I'm bored of it, which is a strange one. I must, I must be one I have to go and see in the cinema if I ever release it. I think. Well, and Mad Max, yeah, because it's it's an IMAX, isn't it? Yeah, uh, they probably won't re-release it, will they? But uh, no, I, 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 I like it because it is simple. Yeah, yeah. We reviewed um, it there, so you can go back and listen to it if you can get on the old ones. Yeah, maybe one day we'll, we'll get an IMAX re- reissue. Um, I can't really think of much more to say about about Wizard of Oz. It's one that I think, like we say with the the plot, we'll keep it simple because it's something we could we could have done two hours on this film, you know? Um, but that's another one that I'd, I'd be interested in youngsters nowadays take on it. Um, Cause I think right youngsters would probably like it because they don't, they don't look for the technical side of things, but they'd enjoy it. It's very bright, isn't it? And the characters are very, yeah. You know, um, it's probably the sort of thing that teenagers probably wouldn't like as much. Um, but you never know, but I don't think I probably did as a teenager. I probably liked it when I was right young. Then when I got older and sort of appreciated it more, probably liked it more then. Yeah, definitely. It's it it's it's brilliant for what it is. Like I said, the colours are bright, the plot's simple, and the yeah. songs are catchy, and yeah, the characters are really memorable. So yeah, yeah it's, it's a classic George's film. Yeah, cool. Uh, what have we got next? Well, aside from indigestion, kind <laughs> of uh, havoc. At this end, um, next one of my film is a uh, Shane Meadows film, and I was in two minds as to whether to have this or um, this is England. Uh, this is England could have easily taken the place of this, but um, I've gone with Dead Man's Shoes. I think that's his best film. Um, <clears throat> I don't think it's a better movie overall than This Is England. Is it's tighter? Um, this is England's quite messy in a lot of ways. I think there's a lot of improvisation that goes on, which is to its strength. But overall, I think that Dead Man's Shoes is a better film. Obviously, it's a revenge film. Um, if you haven't seen it, anyway, it's, it's a revenge movie uh, where there's kind of like a guy who's been away as a soldier, he's been away at war, and uh, his disabled brother has been sort of taken in and killed by a bunch of Scratens. Just gangsters, but not serious gangsters, just low-life type gangsters, you know. And they've been awful and abused him. And then he uses his uh, super army soldier skills <laughs> to take revenge on them all. Um, but it's the way, again, I guess so much of it is like the cinematography is really good. Um, and that makes it quite hard hitting. There's, some, there's, a, there's a whole sort of drug scene, which is really, really well put together, that entire sequence, from spiking the uh, kettle with a concoction of God knows what to sort of carrying out the, the executions and that sort of thing. Um, but there's a brilliant sense of like isolation with the character played by Paddy Considine, who's a great actor and especially for this kind of character. Uh, it does a really good job of kind of like using the camera to show how sort of isolated 
this individual is and really hammers home how sort of like that brother was in so many ways all he really had like his only real family and his only sort of connection and reason to go on and stuff so now all he's got is revenge so it kind of becomes this all-consuming thing you know it's um it's, it's all he's got to do in life now and um he's got the skills to deliver it i suppose is what happens but it's it's brutal i don't often pick films that are that are like that that are really kind of hard-hitting and violent and the violence is very real but this is one where um it's not done in a way that's gratuitous or kind of like voyeuristic it's sort of like it's a necessary and vital part of a sort of like vengeance type story i guess the way that it's done you don't feel that it's kind of like cool look at that it's yeah not, it's not done in that way so yeah. um so I, I can still enjoy it uh the script is really good i think shane meadows is really good at dialogue in particular i mean i think he goes for that a similar sort of school of filmmaking to people like mike lee and ken loach where they'll kind of they'll get their ensemble of actors together and then they'll give them their characters and then the scripts will in a lot of ways sort of like build up around interactions between them actors living the characters and stuff so it's got that feel to it although i think like he does write scripts yeah and he does write dialogue but it always sort of is delivered well enough because of the relationship between the director and the actors that he spends a lot of time fostering um i think it's brilliant like i said though it could have easily been this is england on the list yeah Uh, i I said they're like working with the actors to get the best from them it's probably this is england is a better example of that of, of what he's good at in, in the sense of like, I mean, the main character in This Is England was an actor, like a, just a young kid from Grimsby who'd never acted before. And he gets yeah. a really good performance out of him, that sort of thing. Um, but like, I think uh, The Dead Man Shoes is just slightly edges it as being like a, as, a, as a better film in, in the sense that like, I think there he's only really working with professional actors. Um, and so he doesn't have to, bring the best out of them so much as they're sort of bringing the best to it and he's working with them. Um, yeah. He doesn't that sort of like carry anyone through it the way he has with This Is England. Yeah. So I would say Dead Man's Shoes of the yeah. two. Well, he's made several other films, obviously, but I think I think that's the best one from him. Yeah. I mean, I, I this is a film I haven't, seen, I haven't seen, heard of, and I knew the plot, and I didn't know it was him. Um, and everyone, it's one of those people rave about, but the plot to me sounded like something like, you'd expect Steven Seagal to be in. You know? That's what I mean, why I said in so yeah. many ways it's important to point out that, like, though it, it's that type of plot, it's not done in that sort of a way. Like, they really kind of, like, go to, to quite lengths, you know, quite quite a lot of length to, to show you that he's kind of like an outsider and he's, yeah. Yeah. It's, um, I think as well, hasn't it, recently gone on to either Prime or Netflix? Because um, I think it's finally got a, so people who don't want to buy it can watch it. There's a few people I know have mentioned it to me literally in the last month or so. So um, if you're listening and like me, haven't seen it, Google it and you can probably watch it for free. Yeah, do. And I recommend you do. I recommend you do. So he's one been over the last sort of 20 years, one of the British film directors that stood out. And I think it's his best movie. So that's, that's why he's on the list. Okay. Edman Jews. Right. Um, I'm going to go 1960s now because this is a decade. It's another comedy I've picked. And this is a decade for me that when you think of comedies, you think of old school Lauren Hardy Chaplin and then probably more recent 
sort of 70s, that sort of stuff. Um, I don't know if you've seen it. I don't know if you like it. 1963's The Nutty Professor, the original, with um, Jerry Lewis. It was remade yeah. in the 90s by Eddie Murphy, starring Eddie Murphy, Eddie Murphy, Eddie Murphy, and Eddie Murphy. During Eddie uh, Murphy's Eddie Murphy period, yeah. Yeah. Um, and that was a film that a lot of people liked. Um, I thought it was okay for what it was, but I grew up watching Jerry Lewis, um, films on his own and with Dean Martin. And um, what I really like about this movie, I mean, he, I don't, it's sort of almost a joke how big he was in France. I mean, over there he was like the biggest star um, because of his slapstick humour and it just translated well for them. Yeah. Um, and he never got the recognition really in America I think he deserved. Um, he directed most of his own films. He wrote them, produced them. And in this, he stars in it. He does do a couple of, not really two characters, because it's the take on Jekyll and Hyde, which is what I like about it. It's um, lots of films more recently have been, they've modelled up an old classic tale, haven't they? Um, one one of my favourite comedies was from the 80s, um, Roxanne, which is a, an old story modelled up, and you get it all the time. Um, and I think this was possibly one of the first to do it, if not do it well. Jerry Lewis also done a film called Cinderella, which was Cinderella as a bloke. Um, but uh, most of his films kind of forgot. But this one, if you watch it, it's just so well made. And it's so 60s as well. The bright colours, the, the jazz type music in it. Um, it's kind of almost a, a, a bit um, when he when he when he turns his character into the the sleazy um, villain, but who, who the ladies like. It's almost a bit sort of Jack Kerouac, that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, and I don't, I don't, have you seen it? Have you have you seen this this one? I, yeah, I've I've seen both of the the Naughty Professors, but I don't think I've seen either of them more than once. Okay, um, and I, did, I did think that I mean, if you look at the in the Simpsons, there's the the Professor character, yeah, which is blatantly the Naughty Professor. Um, but I'm not sure that at the time it even done it done quite well. But it, I just feel this film deserves to be. More well known is I think Jerry Lewis deserves to be uh, more well known. He's not just as a, a comedy actor, but as a filmmaker. Um, so many of his films he done after the period with Dean Martin. It's almost like Chaplin with the how he perfected everything, and he had to do it all himself. There was even a style of film, and I can't can't think of what I saw this in the documentary that he was the first to do, and it's something commonly used now. Should have probably researched this before it, but because and he just done it. And then um, because he was just that into filmmaking. Um, and I, I do think that silly humour, if it's done well, is amazing. And this is a, a prime example of that. And it's such an underrated genre. It's just people think it's just, you you know, custard pie in the face. Yeah. There's so much. So if you look at some of the set pieces in, in this film, especially hard work and hard work to make it look good. And then you've got simple jokes in it, like when he checks his little um, pocket watch, then a massive, it sounds like a church bell. And, you know, just simple things mixed with big set pieces um, in comedy. I don't think, don't think it's really been done as well as this since this. Yeah, you've got, you, it's, it's not Buster Keaton, it's not Chaplin. But for 1960s, it's proper good. Um, maybe it's a bit dodgy that he's a lecturer after one of the students, but other than that, um, <laughs> I'd say if you're a fan of comedy and you haven't seen this, get out there and see it. Yeah, 
yeah. I mean, and thinking of the remake of it, the remake probably came off the back of Flubber doing well, didn't it? I, didn't, I think. Um, I don't Eddie know Murphy's which one. Professor was after Flubber, I think. I'm They're not probably... sure, actually. Because uh, pro- I think that wasn't Flubber a remake of a... The, the Flubber, Flubber was as well. the absent-minded Professor was the original Flubber from the 60s. Yeah. Um, but I'm not sure because I... I yeah, it would be around the same time. So, so they one of them was thinking, a... like, one of them was thinking, what, what else can we do then? Is that yeah. all right? But with the, um, <clears> the remake... I found some of the humour a bit nasty because it was all fat jokes, wasn't it? Mm. Um, and it, you know, it's, he he lost weight and didn't actually look that much different. He just got thinner, and then he was the you know. Um, but it's another film I should probably go back to. It's probably not as bad as I remember. The Clumps, the second one, is one of my least favourite comedies. So I just thought that was dreadful. Um, and <laughs> yeah. then he made Norbert. Anyway, I don't want to don't, don't talk about the downfall of Eddie Murphy. That's something else for another time. Uh, but Coming to America 2 was okay, in my opinion. This go. was recent, and it was straight to Amazon Prime, wasn't it? Yeah, they, they actually funded it and stuff. It wasn't, yeah. a, it wasn't a case of it had been made then, um, pandemic. It was made for that. But yeah. that's where the money is nowadays. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that's, that's one I, I, don't know. I, I mentioned to someone... That way. I was going to put this one in the list and they kind of didn't understand why. Um, I hope you do. And you hope, I hope I've justified it. Um, Nighty professor Eddie Murphy one was made a year before flubber. So it's probably the other way around. Yeah. Six and 97. So, sir, what have we got next? Uh, Reanimator. Oh, yes. Uh, based on a HP Lovecraft story. Um, and it's Stuart Gordon, I believe Stuart Gordon, yeah. the director. Yeah. Um, so it's it's a horror classic. It's a horror it's a comedy horror, but I'd still say that it counts as a straight up classic of horror movies. It's um I suppose you're going back to the um the old trope of the uh, mad scientist. So there's a nice little segue there. Um which obviously goes back as far as any, you know, it's the horror genre really to have. To have Frankenstein, isn't it? In in so many ways it is Frankenstein. Um, reanimator uh it's about uh man playing god uh science being arrogant and um trying to mess with things it shouldn't mess with and of course it never goes well didn't go well for frankenstein and it don't go well here either um but it's it's one of those another one of those that like i think it's because of how well made it is and it came out at exactly the right time for the type of film that it is mid 80s um there was a lot of stuff like this in terms of tone. Um, but I think Reanimate is probably the best of them. Uh, yeah. In terms of the special effects are brilliant. The humour's bang on. Because the humour is there in the sense that it makes it quite cartoonish and a little bit comic booky in a sense. Um, but it never overshadows the horror and never tries to. Um, no. So I think like it, its ultimate goal is to be like, look at how fucking disgusting this head that is talking to you is, <laughs> isn't it? With, with Rihanna, yeah. but like, and and you know, like it's it, it'll be, I think, like a good comedy horror. I think Evil Dead Two is probably another example of a really well-made, good comedy horror that does exactly what it should do, where by it can horrify you and make you laugh at exactly the same time. Yeah, like um, the way that the way that a line is delivered will have you it'll have you laughing but at the same time it's totally fucking horrible like um 
some of the demons in Evil Dead do that. And then, like I was talking about the severed head in uh, in Reanimator that's talking to him, and it's, it's saying, bastard. Like that. The, the whole scene is is completely horrifying, and it's great. There are, there are serious horror films that haven't done the horror that's done in that scene as well as it's done there. But at the same yeah. time, the comic book and cartoony sort of caricatured nature of the acting and the set design and the costumes and stuff makes it so it's it's funny as well at the same yeah. time. Like it doesn't have to be one or the other. It, that that scene is is both a brilliant horror scene and a brilliant comedy scene at the same time. I it's think that's a, what's great about it. And the sort of intense performance by Jeffrey Coombs as well. Yeah. It's, like, it's, it's just perfect because he's he's so menacing in it, but in a way if he's you done took so out that film and put him somewhere else, it'd just be ridiculous and it wouldn't have any menacing quality to it, would yeah. it? But but he, like he, the balance he, is perfect. It's like he plays it overly straight, you know yeah. what I mean? And that makes yeah. it in the same way that how Leslie Nielsen get, go, gets through Airplane and Naked Gun. You know, it's not a comic performance. He plays it dead straight, doesn't he? Yeah, um, that's, that's exactly it, though. Like yeah. playing it totally straight so that it really exaggerates the absurdity of the whole thing. And yeah. for you watching, that's what makes it kind of funnier. Yeah. Obviously, and, um, Stuart Gordon did a whole ton of other horror movies, didn't he? Um, and uh, he done From Beyond, Beyond, didn't he? Yeah, which was another, yeah, was um, all of these sort of like in quick succession in the 80s. Yeah, and um, he used Jeffrey Coombs a lot as well, didn't he? Um, yeah, I don't think Jeffrey did, Coombs is also he's also in From Beyond, I think. Isn't he? Yeah, he is, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, did uh, is it the same director done the two sequels as well? I think he did at least he did at least one of the sequels. I don't know if he did all of them. Because the second one, um, just the fact it's called Bridery Reanimator, I like. Yeah, um, another nod to the to its uh, Frankenstein origins, obviously. Yeah, um, and both the sequels are okay, but then yeah, they're not dreadful. We mentioned the, the Matrix earlier, and I think with the Matrix, if it had left it as just one film, it would actually be remembered a lot more fondly than it is. Yeah. Um, whereas with Reanimator, it's it is the perfect comedy horror, gory comedy horror. And then the two sequels, they're just fine. And I haven't really heard anyone ever slag them off. They're quite enjoyable. Um, but it is that iconic first one. Yeah, definitely. definitely. Yeah, and I think they, they stopped on the third one, which is probably enough. You know, um, yeah, it's, it is that mid 80s around the time of um, sort of Frankenhooker and that sort of stuff. There's a lot of these. And Reanimator definitely stands out as one of the best, if not the best, isn't it? Yeah, I'd say like of of the the type of film from the time, I'd say it was it was the best one of its of its type, um, yeah. which is again why why it's on the hundred and one movies to watch and then you die list. Um, yeah, then your head comes off because if you're it. gonna same with From Beyond the Grave last month, like it was kind of that was like if you're only gonna watch one British horror movie from the seventies, I'd pick that one. And this is sort of like I guess if you're gonna pick one comedy horror from the eighties, I'd say Reanimator. Yeah, yeah. Um... Yeah, no, just just for another one, which um, is is probably as well remembered, but I don't think quite as good. Um, Return of the Living Dead. That was around the yeah. same time, but I would say Reanimator is better. It's um, it's just weird, and the, the fact that the, the soundtrack as well, very similar to Psycho, but so similar that it adds to it. Yeah, you definitely. Know? And I think that was that that was done on purpose. It wasn't. It's not like a rip off. It just gives you the tone of, you know, he's insane, doesn't it? Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. So there's. It played out really well. I was just trying to think who the music was by in that film because it does stand out. Yeah, it wasn't Queen. I know that. It wasn't yeah. Queen. 
Well, they were doing a lot of films in the 80s, but they didn't do that one. <laughs> yeah, they were. He, he had the dentist that day. Um, but yeah, I mean, um, I've recently got the, the Arrow have re- reissued the third one, which I've only seen once. And I'm really looking forward to seeing again. But being me, I've got to watch the other two first before I watch it. And um, I don't mind doing that because I really enjoyed um, both of them as many times as I've seen them. So uh, you're still searching for the... Yeah, it, Richard Band, never heard of him, but it, he did a good job. On uh, the, yeah. <laughs> I reckon he probably done other films with, with the same director. Just that's, that's what they do, in it? Um, but yeah, he's, he's another one who surrounds himself with the same people and um, it seems to work and he gets the performances and yeah, this is a, it's another cult film. I actually saw earlier today, there's some action figures coming out of eighties, five eighties horror movies. And this is one of them. Yeah. So I've, got, I've got to spend all my money. It's Elvira, this, um, I can't remember the others, but it was more obscure horror films. It wasn't like Freddie and Jason, um, which I suppose when Freddie and Jason were about in the eighties, proper horror films probably snubbed them films a bit. Because well, they were so successful, so the if it was us back then, we'd have liked Reanimator and Freddy was for, for mm. losers. Um, because we, we can be like that as well. Um, yeah. try not to be there, yeah, um, yeah, right. Uh, uh, it's certainly, certainly true. Um, that it's probably more popular now, yeah, than it was then. It was one of those as well that probably done really well on video, yeah. Um, right. Um, my final choice is uh. Another horror film from from the seventies, one that the director has since said he he thought he made as a comedy as well, but that's out of bullshit. We've mentioned this in another um, uh, podcast before. Uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Um, from right, 19- yeah, that, that's definitely not a comedy. No, if, he, if, um, if you did mean it that way, you're sick. But yeah, but didn't. he said that in a um, <laughs> while while trying to justify the second one, um, which right. was a comedy. But I think I think what he probably means is. Um, there's satire in it, you know, which there is, but it's not a comedy. There's no laughs in this film. Um, a film that's nearly 50 years old. Um, I mentioned Toby Hooper. Um, for me, one of the best made horror films of all time. Real simple plot. It's the travellers sort of um, go to, a, well, end up getting caught by killers basically isn't it that's the plot and they've yep. got to escape um but it's so tense um it got banned for no reason because it's not that gory at all is it there's um there were gorier films yeah you don't I wouldn't you, say you, it wasn't gory it's, <laughs> there's, there's not there's not that much blood in it you see skeletons and that sort of thing and sucking the blood out of fingers um it's got to be an 18 though because of the the whole tone of it um but what, where it gets under your skin is the the way it's shot, when it goes into the camera, goes into the girl's eyes, and you see the bloodshot eyes while she's screaming. Um, so much screaming, so so intense, and the fact that it looks when well, it was so low budget, I think that adds to it. Um, yeah. This is a film that I first watched when it was banned. I got a dodgy bootleg copy, and it did. I'd have been a young teenager, and it certainly freaked me out. And a lot of what freaked me out was the the quality of the, the actual film. I think I've got the remastered version now and it's still scary. It's still got that about it, but I can tell it's a film now, but also I'm a lot older now. I'm, you know, 30 years older. Mm. Um, it's been remade. It's being remade again. 
Um, Leatherface has become one of the big, I'd say one of the big five horror characters of all time. Yeah, Not counting Universal Studio Monsters, obviously. Um, So, yeah, I mean, it's one of those... uh, This is only about 80 minutes long as well. I I can't fold it. The pacing's brilliant. The way it's shot. Another use of colour, because it's it's not dark as in um, black, is it? It's dark as in grainy and... Um, there's a, you know, it's quite at the beginning of the film, it's quite a lot of sun and stuff, isn't it? Till you get in the house, yeah, so, which I think helps makes it feel real, but also that feeling of isolation you know, they're in the middle of nowhere. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, for me, this is another five star film. Uh, what do you reckon? What, what are your views on this? It's one, one of my favorite horror, horror films, straight up, and like obviously, horror is my favorite genre, we've talked about a lot. Um, it's definitely, definitely one of the films that got me into the genre in a bigger way. I was already a horror fan, and that's why I went to it. But um, it definitely was one of them ones that I watched at a young enough age. That it was like a formative film in, um, like, what was really cementing horror as my favourite genre. I think the atmosphere of it is really, really, really well, um, really well played out. The the dinner scene with the with the family and everything is is iconic in horror, and it's like I think it's that the way that it's drawn out really sort of highlights that the madness of the of the whole film and that's where the horror is coming from and the, you know they are completely mad um and i think uh one of the one of the ones that, that really plays the sort of like nearly escape um trope quite well that that whole thing where like the, you nearly get away but then you drag back and yeah. in this it's sort of scarier because it's like you're in the middle of nowhere, and even when you do start getting back to where places are, well, that's them as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> like everyone yeah. is mad around here; they're all in on it. Um, yeah, it's, it's sort of like it's like you say it starts with them summer scenes, and they're out on a road trip, and everything's really free and really open. And gradually, as the plot sort of unravels, it gets tighter and tighter and tighter and more confined, doesn't it? Um, yeah. As a thing, and the world sort of starts to get smaller around them. Um, which I suppose, yeah, it's like being sort of enveloped by that that sort of small rural town, that kind of thing. I mean, I think a film that's, that's sort of like played on it quite well was Tucker and Dale versus Evil, yeah, where it sort of yeah. flipped it on its head, didn't it? Yeah. it kind of like these annoying um, outsiders coming in and just messing about, freaking out, shitting themselves in the woods, and these two lads are just trying to get on with their business, and these yeah. uh, teenagers keep trying to attack them because they think they're murderers. Yeah. <laughs> it's a bit Scooby Doo as well, isn't it? When you think about yeah. it, yeah. <laughs> um, but it's another one where some of the um, the teenagers are annoying me, and I kind of want them to die. Um, <laughs> but I'm like that with horror films. Um, but yeah, it's definitely you wouldn't. There wouldn't be wrong turn and films like that now if it wasn't for this. Um, no, it's a massive, massively influential film. Yeah, and um, probably my hate to say it, I'd prefer it to The Exorcist. Um, my favourite band film ever, I'd say this was. Yeah. I mean, I don't. I, I think The Exorcist yeah. is a far, far better film in nearly every way, but you're entitled to your opinion. Yeah, I just, uh, I like I like the brutality of this and it's more, it's, it's more, you know, it's more real than The Exorcist. The Exorcist is a, because the supernatural side, I, especially when I was younger, I found something like this far more scary. So it got under my skin, whereas The Exorcist I love when I first watched it, it didn't scare me. I, I could see it was a good film. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. Besides that, the 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 ghost at the beginning of Ghostbusters in the library scared the shit out of me. 
when I was a kid. Yeah. It's quite scary. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> For a PG, it is. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, we got one more, haven't we? One more yeah, movie film. Last one is uh, mentioned Mike Lee earlier on, and we'll talk about him a bit more now because it's his 1980 film, Life is Sweet, which uh, I've picked that one because I think it's uh, much like with Dario Argento and Suspiria, I think this is the most Mike Lee, Mike Lee film. Um, is is another one that's got a definite style, and it's a really, really British style um, of sort of kitchen sink drama, as they as they call them. Um, and it's a great example of him the way that he'll write characters, but then he'll bring people in for the auditions, and when he's found the actors that are going to play them characters, that's where the script really starts getting written, and they get them together in little groups together and the lacked out scenes, and that's how the film will sort of come into being like that. Um, it's sort of film about a suburban family. Um, there's uh, an eating disorder in one of the daughters, two twin daughters, they don't get on very well. Uh, but it's also about all of the characters around them and like sort of like people's sort of external in, in, and internal lives and that, that kind of thing. I think he does a really good job of sort of using locations and, and and things like that like people's houses and stuff like that as a way of showing like what they're like inside and outside like there's one character who's got a very sort of like pristine and presented outside but like inside it's all kind of a bit disheveled and messy and it's all like that's what the, what the character's like and so I think it's um it's, it's, it's done lots of other films I mean High Hopes is another uh, a more recent and really good one um and yeah, I, I think he's one of them. I could have, I could have, and probably at some point I'll have Ken Loach and probably put Kez or something like that mm. on it. But yeah. I really like um, it's got it's got actors like Jim Broadbent and uh, Jane Horrocks in it. You know, kind of like when they're put in the right thing and they're being worked with in the right way. That's where you see why they are really good. Yeah, I think that's the case with like Jim Broadbent in in this. He's the kind of actor who works really well with someone like Mike Lee, where it's all kind of like he takes the sort of almost like the hierarchy out of director and actor a little bit by kind of like he sort of like gets down there and works works it all out with them, and um, the people who are playing the characters' suggestions are just as important as the director's kind of thing, and they all collectively work out who these people are. And so you always get these really, really well-drawn portraits of of individual people. And that, they are those kind of like slice of life, like a slice of real life kind of kind of films where nothing really happens, which doesn't make them that easy to talk about on things like this. <laughs> yeah. But like at the same time, like they're worth talking about because um it's and again, like it's 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 not like it doesn't try to be overly gritty but it doesn't shy away from anything at the same time. And that's what makes it so believable yeah. and real. Like, you know, you've got, it's kind of like, it's not obvious what's going on with someone um, just from the, the external presentation sort of thing. And it's, it's a film about that. And uh, it's, it's, it's one thing everybody should watch it. It's, it's another, it's another quite an emotional list this week, actually for the five. Um, but yeah, it's another one that kind of, kind of gets you. Because you know yeah. you, you you do come, you you sort of live with the family in the film, I guess. So you you kind of, and the way that it's shot almost makes you feel like you are there with them, and yeah. you are kind of like just the other very very quiet member of this family who never says anything. It's sort yeah. of what it feels like to watch. It's very good. Yeah. 
Have you seen that one? Uh, like 1990, I think it was. I don't think I have. Um, I was going to say, I mean, I've done a lot of... Well, when, when I've listed five films, and the most realistic ones, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, that's a world away from this sort of film. But I think it's as hard, if not harder, to curate something real, and it yeah. feels real, than it is to, say, um, do Flash Gordon. Because... I mean, as much as I like films like Clerks and Kevin Smith and even Richard Linklater to some extent, it's not very often how real people behave. Yeah. The little indie films in these small situations, more so Kevin Smith, some of Richard Linklater's stuff is quite relatable, but it isn't real and it doesn't feel real. And I think a lot of these smaller British films do it so well. Yeah. And I haven't but seen it, but this really sounds like that sort of example. The way that Mike Lee does. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's it's really good. Obviously, like he's still making films today, isn't he? Um, yeah, still critically acclaimed ones as well, and yeah. still doing well. I mean, and that's you know that's over thirty years ago. This came out, and um, Jim Broadbent would have been probably in his sort of prime then as well. You know, he'd was starting to do the Hollywood films. Um, he done he was in like the Borrowers and stuff around that time, wasn't he? Yeah. Um, um, and he's an actor who I think is. He's done too many of the over-the-top performances in family films. He's kind of forgotten that he's actually a really good actor. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah. one of the things, like you're saying, and it might make you think, oh, it's a British film. It's got Jim Broadbent in it. Yeah. Um, it's probably got, like, a, um, a little bear or something like that in it. Yeah. <laughs> I, think, I think the same thing sort of happened to Pete Postlethwaite as well. Yeah. He was, um, he'd done too many of the, let's get a silly English man in. But why not? You know, it's... It, it's a job at the end of the day. And I mean, when you look at Jim Broadbent, it's like he's done that stuff, but it's not stopped him from doing those, um, like small no. independent films at the same time. He's, he's, he's still yeah. able to do them. So, yeah, you've really, got, you got, you got to think so. Bob was, Hoskins always done that. Together, then you'd, it'd be something to talk about. But if you can do both, then why wouldn't you do both? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, this is another one I'll have to look, look up. And one thing I will say, um, we've done a, I think it was on the the episode about British horror. You mentioned his house. Did you talk yeah. about that? Yeah, yeah. Watched that the other night, and I really enjoyed it. Turns yeah. out it's one of these films that I post about it on Facebook, and everyone's seen it, and everyone said it was good. Why don't people post about films then? Then we can celebrate. Yeah. If if someone wants to watch a film and hate it, they'd be straight online slagging it off. They watch a good one and they don't mention it. Yeah, but it's very good, isn't it? It's yeah, very- and um, it's I'm sure. The female lead is. Did you watch the um, uh, the latest Alan Partridge series? Yeah, uh, isn't she the lady who would always disagree with him? They'd go go to, uh, <laughs> and she'd always disagree with him. Then the female presenter would say the same thing, and she'd agree with her. Sure, it's her. Could well be. Which is amazing, um, but good good to see. Um, yeah, I really enjoyed that, and it's a first time director, isn't it? So I look forward to, to more stuff. Yeah, just to, just just so people... it's good to do it as a horror movie the way that it clearly has been done as a horror movie because it is a horrifying scenario. It's a horrifying yeah. thing which is going on all of the time. But like to really like, I think that's the right genre to pick to get people to understand how awful a thing the sort of PTSD that, that these people are living with, yeah. um, and the things that they've been through before they've come here. Uh, what a great genre to do it in. Yeah, and it's. It's a bit different because it starts off more horror, then gets more real. Yes. These films are normally the other way around. Yeah, definitely. So, yeah. Like, gradually, like, as you see sort of more what they're, what they're dealing with. Yeah. It's really sympathised. Brilliant. Yeah, brilliant film. 
yeah and uh made for netflix as well which is quite interesting or they bought it um but it's up for um has the baftas happened yet because it was definitely up for a bafta i'm not sure i mean it deserves something i think it's yeah one of them films that should should get an award just for being the right film at the right time yeah and um one day they'll put Matt Smith in something so he gets acclaimed as well because he's, <laughs> oh, he's, he's quite good at it, isn't he? Isn't he? He's fine, yeah. <laughs> but he's not doing, he's not done that well. He's one of them people who's got the big sci fi character curse. Like, yeah. You know, he didn't even do it for that long, really, either. No. And um, <laughs> he did it for the, what, five years, I think. Hasn't um, the that. latest, the latest Doctor Who's stepped down as well, hasn't she? Uh, she hasn't. There was a rumor that she was, but she should be. De- the reason that's come about and the reason it's a safe thing to say. But obviously, some people are going, uh, uh, stepping down. It's like, yes, after the three series that everybody in the modern era has done, because <laughs> yeah. every series, don't you? It's yeah. like they haven't announced it. It's almost obvious that she goes after the next series because if she didn't, it'd be like, well, why should she get more than Tennant and Matt Smith and Peter Capaldi then? Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. why, why does yeah. she get an extra series? Yeah. Um, so it should be, it should be three series and then there'll be another one. Um, yeah. But they're probably just gonna like cast a black woman or something next, just to wind them up more. Black like, transsexual—that's what they want to cast. <laughs> um, but uh, I don't think there should be any sex in it at all. I thought I keep pointing out to people it was weirder when it was a nine hundred odd year old alien going after a nineteen year old girl, and there was a romantic element to it. I said that was actually weirder. Yeah. Than anything they've done since. <laughs> yeah. And people go, uh, well, I never really thought of it like that before. I was like, yeah, don't start now either. It ruins it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. One word for everyone. Twilight. Think yeah. about that one. Um <laughs> but yeah, um, anyway, um that we, that's about it, isn't it? We've we've done the ten. Yeah, we? yeah, we've yeah. done this one. And um, we'll have another ten films next time, I guess. Yeah. We might be able to have it's, something good from the cinema. We'll see. Yeah, so at some point we'll, we'll probably end up doing less of these each episode and a new review. Um, it might not be because cinemas will open hopefully May 17th, so we might not quite get time in the next one. But we'll see. You never know. Yeah. I want to I, I go, well. go and see that new Mortal Kombat and slag it off. That looks amazing. The original Mortal Kombat film was brilliant. It's, I mean, it's not <laughs> what it is, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. yeah. This new one looks like this, the same thing, but more violent. So long as it's still got the same music, <laughs> yeah. Okay, <laughs> I got the same. Yeah, it's like was it like techno metal? It's not yeah, really, there was yeah. like there was a lot of metal on it, but then there was obviously there was the Mortal Kombat techno track. Yeah, like if it didn't broke, you know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Get that at the start and the end. I'm not too bothered what happens in between that. <laughs> yeah, just, just put the game on the screen. No one will notice. Yeah. But yeah, I'm looking forward to that, and um, we will at some point have to review. Even though a lot of people have seen it. Um, Godzilla versus Kong. Yeah. Because I haven't seen it yet. Um, I'm not going to lie. I, I haven't I seen the original Godzilla versus King Kong either because I've got King Kong and that's it for all of the things with King Kong in it. Okay. Good. The original one that we talked about earlier. And that's, that's the end yeah. one. And I've got about 10 or 11 Godzilla movies. <laughs> yeah, brilliant. But um, yeah, it's one of. Uh, Godzilla loses in this one, but I'm like, well, what? What? You've ruined it. I generally didn't know that. Are you not seeing the original one? Oh, yeah, yeah, but um, I'm assuming they didn't... Uh, it's not oh, the same end. Well, I'm only basing this on the fact that he does in the original one. Oh, okay, I don't think... Maybe um, I would like the, the spoof of the... Um, that someone mentions Mothra, and like, how did you know that name? Mothra, and then they come together. Like, it's Batman versus Superman with Martha. See what I've done there? <laughs> they could do that. Um, I don't know. Um, but I hope they make more of them, because I think this has done well. Um, and I, I think all of the 
the reboots of these films have, have been fine. I think they've been fun cinema films. They've done well enough, haven't they? That yeah. I think they'll keep making them until one of them doesn't make money. But yeah, yeah, they haven't been like huge hits because I've seen like the uh, the Godzilla ones. Kind of like you can't can't give them away now. Like that yeah. for the 2014, I think it was Godzilla one. Just sort of like nobody cares. But, oh, that was that was really good though. Yeah, it's incredible, <laughs> and they keep you know so they keep churning them out regardless. So yeah. I think until- it's the sort of thing that both of those franchises there might be a 10 year gap when nothing happens, then they'll reboot them again. It'll always be about you can always bring Godzilla back, and they always will eventually. Yeah. Um, yeah, because so I, I think it, this is the best way to do it though. It's like they went wrong in the 90s by not drawing on any of the wider stuff from Godzilla, which is like, well, that's why it's popular, though, man. It ain't really about that one monster. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just, I mean, the, the 90s one was just uh, wanted to be Jurassic Park and Independence Day type. It was of its time, and I didn't think it was very good then. I'd pro- probably enjoy it more now than I did at the time, I reckon. But I can't be asked to watch it. Yeah, there's better, like you said, there's better films and um, yeah. better Godzilla films as well. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, definitely. Cool. Yeah, we definitely have to look at um, Godzilla versus Kong. I don't know. There's probably other stuff as well. Um, See what horror comes out as well. Yeah, will be something. Yeah, Yeah, it's going to be. Well, it's we still got the Candyman reboot to come out with the um, Jordan Peele one. So, um, and by the time we, um, yeah, it's it's August, isn't it? The new the new Ghostbusters, and we'll have to do a one on that because we were the only people who liked the the remake. Um, so this one shit. <laughs> uh, oh, well, I don't. I, it looks all right. It just. Uh, um, I think that after coming out, it's like bloody ridiculous. Don't see why they've got to do an all male remake of the 2016 movie Ghostbusters. <laughs> yeah, political correctness gone mad. Just to yeah. shut them up, to do anything, yeah. just pandering. <laughs> yeah, but like, in the original, you had the charisma of Bill Murray. Howard Ramis, Dan Aykroyd, and Ernie Hudson. And who have they got in this one? Paul Rudd. <laughs> <laughs> well, there you go. Yeah. Um, he's, 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 a, he's a good sidekick in a film. Uh, I'll give it Gary. Look, it'll be all right, will it? It's Ghostbusters. It'll be fun. Yeah, that's what I thought about the last one. Is it's kind of hard to fuck it up that much. Really. Yeah, <laughs> it's, yeah it's, um, it's... um, Yeah. People, people will like this one because we we all know the real reason people didn't like the reboot. We won't keep going on about it. Um, so, yeah. Uh, anything else for this one, for this show? No, no, that's no. all. That's all. <laughs> so, join us again. Uh, the next one will be, I think it's the 28th of May. Yeah. yeah. The 28th of, no, hang on. Looking at the wrong month, mate. <laughs> It'll still be the 28th of May. It's all good. <laughs> Yeah, 28th of May will be your next episode, and you might have a new new film release by then. We'll see. Possibly. We've got 11 days to see something and record something. All right. Yeah. See you later. Bye. There's no escaping here. I'm not even supposed to be here today. If he gets up, we'll all get up. It'll be anarchy. I'm a trained actor reduced to the stakes of a bomb. 